Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. We have been going through this series on the Holy Spirit called Ghost, which is an old school term, the Holy Ghost. comes from the King James Version of the Bible. And it's been a really powerful series looking at um, the fact that we're always meant to be spirit people. We're always meant to be connected to the spirit. And Jesus gave up his divine privilege and was a human. And uh, the incredible Jesus, his stuff he did was through the power of the spirit. Um, And that he is our model of how to live the Christian life. We are to receive the spirit. And today is Pentecost, which is a... uh, a very significant moment in the church calendar. It's been 1,989 years since the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came. And um, that is a very significant time because it's been the birth of the church. With no Spirit, there's no church. And um, we would not be here today sitting in this room if that day of Pentecost didn't happen. So um, we're going to talk about tongues today. Uh, because one of the key features of the biblical story and um, the Pentecost moment is that people began to speak in tongues, which is a weird, weird, strange thing. And this whole series is about exploring things of the Spirit and looking theologically, looking biblically about the stuff the Spirit does in our lives. Is that cool? It's cool for two people. That's good. So Pentecost, um, Pente means 50, and it's uh, 50 days after Passover. And um, Passover is a really, really significant time in the Jewish calendar because they celebrated every year that God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, made them a new nation. Uh, 50 days later, they would celebrate the giving of the law, like the Ten Commandments, and it was also the festival the um, festival of the harvest where people would bring their first fruit because it's the start of the kind of the harvest year um, in Israel. And so the, they, they were two very key moments in the Jewish story. And then you overlay that with the Christian story of um, Easter, which happened at Passover, that Jesus is our lamb. He leads us out of slavery into a new people, into a new nation, into a new kingdom. And Pentecost, which is the giving of the Spirit. So Passover, festival of the harvest, Easter, Pentecost. And it just like keeps overlaying and overlapping this incredible uh, story, resurrection and the receiving of the Spirit. So 1,989 years ago, the first church was planted, 3,000 people. Most of those people were visiting from other places and they chose to stay and be part of this new move of God. It is the greatest movement the world has ever seen through almost every, con- every continent, almost every country, every generation, men and women, rich, poor, slave, free, uh, multi-ethnic, eth- eth- multi-ethnic, is this incredible movement. And the Pentecost movement, the Pentecost moment, turns spiritual tourists who are there for like a Passover feast into disciples of Jesus. And that's what it does for us. And so we're going to read... We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but that's all right, because we like the Bible. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, um, there is one in the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, 
And if you don't have a Bible at all, you can take that one home if you want. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. There are three times in the book of Acts that it talks about tongues. And that's kind of what we're exploring this morning. This is the first one, Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. This is Luke just trying to explain what happened. He's not saying there was a mighty windstorm or there was tongues of fire. It's like, this is kind of what it was like. He's saying there's like some, some crazy stuff happening. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues or speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own language being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. They're just saying there are people from like every known language group there and they can all hear the same message because of the tongues being spoken. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. If you go forward to Acts chapter 10, this is a couple of years later, and this is another example of people speaking in tongues. Verse 44, uh, Peter got a vision, um, and he ended up speaking to Gentiles, non-Jews. This was a big deal because Jews didn't mix with non-Jews. You didn't like connect with them, you wouldn't eat with them, and they thought their faith was for them alone, and this is part of God challenging them that, like, the Christian faith is for everyone. Um, Verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Go over to Acts chapter 9, 19, sorry. This is the third time tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts. Verse 19, uh, verse, Acts chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was in, in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus, on the coast where he found several believers. This is interesting. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them. No, we haven't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Peter said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them. The Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. Now, tongues is one of those things that in church history has been very contentious. Um, And there are two extremes, which I um, humbly think are false teachings. The first one is, um, which comes from kind of 
our Pentecostal charismatic brothers and sisters, which says um, in the extreme sense that unless you speak in tongues, then you haven't received the Holy Spirit. And that has been a sort of a, a pervasive uh, false teaching, which comes from the Isusa Street Revival, which is where the Pentecostal movement started. Pentecostal comes from that term Pente- Pentecost, um, the coming of the Spirit. And um, people would put forward that, like, this is the sign of you having the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit has come on you, then you will speak in tongues, you will speak in other languages. Uh, now, the only problem with that is that in 22 cases of people being filled with the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts, only three of them, and we read them all, have people speaking in tongues. So speaking in tongues is a byproduct of the Spirit coming, but it's not the byproduct. Does that make sense? The other false teaching on the other side is that tongues does not exist. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, we, we don't see it today. Maybe it happened with the apostles, but it died out. Um, and the problem with that is uh, a lot of people use the argument that like the apostles could, could do that, but no one else. But we see like generations later, years and years later, all through Acts, people speaking in tongues. We see Paul writing to a church he planted in Corinth, which was Gentiles, and they're speaking in tongues as well. So it's not just the apostles, it's, it's going out further and further. Um, and often, you know, that's a more conservative camp, and people who, you know, really high, hold the Bible in high esteem and read it very literally, except they literally skip those parts of the Bible. Um, and it's important just to know that, like, there are extremes, and those two camps argue with each other a lot about tongues, and um, usually the truth is always found somewhere in the middle, not on the extremes. So the term tongues, a weird one, in in the Greek, the the word is glossolalia. Can you say glossolalia? It sounds like you're speaking in tongues. Um, Glossolalia is not a weird word, like in Greek. It just means we get the word like glossary from glossolalia. It just means language, like other languages. And that's actually a much better way to translate it. Tongues is just so weird because it's just such a... It doesn't grammatically make sense when we say it, and it's just out of tradition that we've been translating it that way um, so that we know what we're talking about there. But really, it just means other languages. And um, that's an important thing. So 1 Corinthians 14, this is where we're going to finish up and land this morning. 1 Corinthians 14. This is Paul writing a letter to a church he planted in the city called Corinth, Church of the Corinthians, and um, the Corinthian church were very, very wild. They were very charismatic. They had a lot going on. They were speaking in tongues left, right, and center. And so it, it seems like Paul's coming down hard on tongues. We're going to read through this, but he's just trying to bring order to this like wild, charismatic church that's going on. Um, and Paul is about order in the church gathering. Um, so we're going to read through. This is a lot of scripture again, but I hope this is okay because we like the Bible. So, 1 Corinthians 14. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people are able to understand, uh, won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others and encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, 
but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So this whole chapter is about prophecy and tongues. Um, And it goes after 1 Corinthians 12, which we looked at a few weeks ago around the gifts of the Spirit and those Spirit manifestations, the stuff the Spirit does when He shows up. 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage we normally read out in a in a wedding, you know, love is patient, love is kind, that poem, but it's in the, in the context of gifts and giving gifts to one another, uh, being posties. If you were here when I was speaking about being postmen more than X-men, we don't own a gift. We don't like just like dispense words of knowledge or dispense prophecy at our own will. It's about what the Spirit's doing. We are just giving packages. So we're a postie more than X-Men, and we are to do that in love. And then he's talking about the church gathering here in 1 Corinthians 14, and he's saying prophecy is much better for the church gathering than tongues is because prophecy builds up other people. It builds up the church. Tongues is great, but it builds up you personally. Prophecy is to people. Tongues is to God. Does that kind of make sense? Yep. 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 Verse 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments like a flute or the harp must play the notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they're being called to battle? It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you are saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. There are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning, but if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to one who speaks it. The one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are eager to to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Does anyone speak another language other than English? Anyone? I was hoping Diego would be in here, but just speaking, yeah. Can you say something to us? <laughs> that means I love you all. <laughs> can, you say, can you say something else? Oh, oh something. Como um, estaka? How are you? Did anyone understand that? Other than the translation? <laughs> no. We didn't understand it. It's beautiful, but we don't understand it, right? So it means nothing to us. But uh, unless it's translated, then it means something to us. Does that make sense? That's, that's basically all Paul's. Thank you. That's all Paul's saying. Verse 13. Are you with me? I know this is a lot of reading. You, you hear? Yep. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what is being said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I'll also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if we praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who understand you praise God? How can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So Paul's saying, when I pray, 
my mind, when I pray in tongues, my mind doesn't understand. Another translation says, my mind is unfruitful. And the praying of tongues, the glossolalia, is praying in a language that you don't understand. It might be interpreted by someone else, but for you, it's important that you don't understand it. It's a connection between your spirit and God's spirit without going through your mind. And they've done like um, neuroimaging of people speaking in tongues, and literally their language center is not active. So they're speaking, but the language, like you're not understanding what you're saying. And there's something powerful about that, I think, because it's, it's a connection with God when we don't have words. And it's a reminder and a practice that uh, we are not just brains on sticks. And for us Westerners, it's very hard to get our head around that because we value the mind so much. We value thinking so much. And so a practice that gets us into a guttural spirit, heart, soul, whatever language you want to put around that, um, connection with God beyond our mind and our language and our comprehension is actually a perfect, uh, a beautiful thing. And it's hard for us to get our head around that because we think we always want to understand. And so he says, I sing in the spirit, I sing in words I don't understand, and I sing in words I do understand. I pray in the spirit and I pray with my mind. And both those things are good. So tongues bypass our conscious mind. It's our spirit praying to God's spirit. So he goes on, and this is, this is a bit of a, a bomb that he drops to the Corinthian church because at this point, they, they're thinking, like, they are really charismatic. They think they're more spiritual than Paul. And Paul's saying, like, you know, let's not, let's not go wild here in the church gathering. Let's just, like, rein it in and make some sense of things because you're doing stuff that other people aren't understanding, and it's not fruitful for the building up of the church. It's fruitful for you, but it's not fruitful for the, for the person next year. Does that kind of make sense? But then he drops this bomb. He says, I thank God that I speak tongues more than any of you. I'm more spiritual than any of you. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I'll speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see, speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who, are, who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy, which is true. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. Um, so speaking in tongues, this is his main point, speaking in tongues during church can be a sign for unbelievers if there is an interpretation. So remember back to Acts chapter 2, they begin speaking in tongues, they be, began speaking in languages they don't understand, but all these other people interpreted it in a language they could understand. And that was for this incredible moment where they are speaking of the majesty of God. They're speaking of the story of God, and they can hear what's happening. They're hearing about the story of Jesus. 
Um, and he says, in that case, it's great for unbelievers, but mostly it's not because you sound like whack jobs. That's what he's basically saying. Um, and so this church gathering shouldn't be a place where you regularly speak in tongues on a microphone um, because most of the time it's not interpreted, and so most of the time it's not fruitful. It's not helpful. It's not building anyone up. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yep. All right, last little passage. Verse 26. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, just remember here as well, Paul is writing to, a, to the church in Corinthians, which is a small house church. There's probably 10, 15 people there. Um, and so we always have to interpret through that lens. As churches have gotten bigger, things have to change as well. But this is what he's saying. Um, when you meet together, one will sing, Jaden. Another will teach. Another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, and another will interpret what is being said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. He's trying to bring order to this church that's gone, like, really wild. Two or three at max can speak in tongues, but it has to be interpreted. Um, Let two or three people prophesy and let others evaluate what is being said. What he's saying is no more than three people, but let two or three people prophesy every time. And that when you gather as a church, you should be prophesying. We're going to speak about that in a couple of weeks. going to go through this passage again, but through the lens of prophecy, uh, which is going to be good. But his main point is that prophecy is integral to the church and integral to the church gathering. Tongues is great for the personal and great if there's interpretation, but otherwise it's not that helpful. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be be encouraged. Remember that um, people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. (laughs) For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all meeting of God's holy people. Um, So he's saying that when we, if you speak in tongues in church on the microphone, it should be interpreted. And to be honest, I've never seen this done well in, in recent years. Um, and so it's got to be something that we continue to work through. Um, so, but he says this at the very end of his chapter, verse 39. He says, So, my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. So it shouldn't be something that's forbid from the church gathering, but it's not that helpful to, be, to be, make a... A normal practice. Now, remember that the place that he's coming from is this church was overusing the gift of tongues. Uh, for us, an example, we are probably underusing the gift of tongues, and so we've got to take that into account as well. But just three things that we get from all of that, just to tie it up. Number one, he tells us that we should eagerly desire the gift of tongues. Eagerly desire it, because it is helpful for the building up of your own spirit. Um, I speak in tongues, I know a bunch of you speak in tongues, and it is a beautiful uh, practice of intimacy. It's a beautiful practice of connecting with God. And the second thing that Paul reminds us that it, it builds us up, and anything that builds us up is a good thing. Um, when you run out of things to pray, which I do when I get into 45 seconds of praying, right? It's important. It's a great practice to drop into and connect with the Spirit. When you don't know what to pray, when you're just so overwhelmed, 
What a great practice to connect with the Spirit of God. It is a practice built for intimacy with God between your spirit and God's spirit. There's a study done. There's been actually a lot of like legit studies done on tongues, which is really interesting. There's a study done by the American Journal of Human Biology, and they found that speaking in tongues is associated with a reduction in cortisol and enhancement in alpha amylase enzyme activity. So those are two common like biomarkers of stress. So it, it helps with stress. Um, and then there's like sociological studies that report there are a bunch of social benefits from speaking in tongues. And mainly the, the big one is that you become more self-confident, which is just very interesting, right? Um, and I think it's, it's like part of just dropping in and doing something actually strange and without your mind. Like, you know, we just get so in our head sometimes. It actually builds confidence, reduces stress, which is a really, really interesting thing. And the third thing that I would say is that it is a prayer practice. It is a prayer practice. When we talk about being a practicing Christian, that's what we're doing. We're practicing, and we get things wrong, and we mess things up. When we are prophesying, we are practicing the gift of prophecy. When we are giving words of knowledge, we are practicing the words of knowledge. When we pray for healing, we are practicing praying for healing. Uh, we are not dispensers of that. It is the Spirit of God. But it's a, a, you know, the more we do something, the more we understand what's working, what's me, what's God, uh, we get a sense of those things. Um, it is a prayer practice. And one thing is really important to note that like, speaking in tongues is not a trance. Like, people like, don't go into a trance state. Um, it is, it's very conscious. Um, when I speak in tongues, I'm very much in control. Um, it is a practice. And, you know, there are a bunch of different ways that, that people receive the gift of tongues. Sometimes it's like an incredible moment. For me, it just kind of happened over time, and it was about the kind of waters I was swimming in. Um, at the time, you know, our, our youth ministry and our youth pastor spoke in tongues a lot. I would hang out with him a lot, and we would go praying a lot. Like, we'd go to the haven and we'll pray, and sometimes he would just do it, and it just became a normal part of my own prayer practice. Um, but getting to the point of speaking in tongues can just be like trying. It is an unknown language for you. It's just moving your mouth without your brain understanding. And it sounds so weird, and it's so strange for us Westerners, but it is a powerful thing. Um, there is like, can be a real sense of like, you know when you fall asleep, you pretend to fall asleep so that you fall asleep. Like, that's how you fall asleep. It's like you lay down and you close your eyes and you pretend to be asleep, and then that's how you fall asleep. I think sometimes it can be the same as tongue. We want to make it this really spiritual thing, but it's actually a very normal, guttural thing that, like, sometimes you can just, if, if you've never spoken in tongues before, you can just, like, fake it and try it, and maybe it'll happen, or maybe it won't. But we're practicing, do you know what I'm saying? And without like actually trying something, then nothing will happen. Does that make sense? Um, so um, tongues is a practice that reminds us we are more than brains on sticks. It is guttural from the heart, spirit, and soul. It's the mouth moving without the language center being involved. So what do we do from now? I, I know a bunch of you already speak in tongues. I know um, some of you don't as well, and that's fine. The speaking in tongues can be a byproduct of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't have to be. I remember um, we were at a church once with Mel, who's not here this morning, she's unwell, and um, 
they, they were talking about tongues, and they asked people to come forward to receive the gift of tongues. And she went down, and she'd been praying about it for a long time. And the pastor came down and was praying for her, and they're like, like listening. She's like, just do something. And, and like nothing was happening for her, but like this, this pastor just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And just nothing happened. It was just like this weird, awkward moment for her um, because it was like one of those... The theological bent that if you don't speak in tongues and you haven't received the Spirit. That's not what we find in the Bible. Tongues can be a byproduct of receiving the Spirit, but not necessarily. Um, so if this is something you desire, this is what you do. Create space. Go for a walk. Go for a hike. Go in your room. Put some music on. Ask God. And then give it a shot. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Create space. Ask God. Give it a shot. And, uh, you know, it is, it is one of those practices. Out, out of all the kind of spiritual gifts, this is one of the strangest ones. Um, but it is, in my experience, a deep form of intimacy with God and something that has helped my prayer life immensely. And something, to be honest, in the last couple of years that I actually haven't practiced that much and I'd love to practice more. And so when it comes to the gathering, this is Paul's main point, is that it actually shouldn't be a center point of what we do. You shouldn't forbid it, and it's okay to speak in tongues in, in your own private space. Maybe during worship, it's fine. Maybe as you're, you know, praying, that's fine. But you shouldn't speak to tongues to someone else unless you're confident that there's going to be an interpretation, and um, obviously not on the microphone as well. But it is about a deep spiritual practice that creates space for you and God. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah? Yeah. So good. That's great. Ben can come up. Why don't we stand together? You know, we, I've, I've said this all through this series, but we deeply want to be a, a Jesus church. We want to do all the Jesus stuff, the stuff that we see in the pages of Scripture. We want to be about building community and social justice and welcoming the outcasts and storytelling and teaching and disciple-making, um, but we don't want to miss the other Jesus stuff of the healing and the movement of the Spirit and the miracles and the casting out of demons. We want to be a whole Jesus church, and we can't do that without the gift of the Spirit. And again, you know, today, 1,989 years since that very first moment that the Spirit came on all people, young and old, men and women, uh, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. We remember again that we can't do this without the Spirit. So why don't you just take a moment just to close your eyes. And if you feel comfortable, just to lift your hands out in front of you. like the disciples who were waiting in that upper room, praying together. We again just say the Holy Spirit, we can't do this Jesus following thing without you. We don't want to do it without you. 
remind us of our of our sin and the ways that we're getting in in the way of ourselves, in the way of you, in the ways that we're hurting you or ourselves or others. So we just ask again for more of you. We just want to be like Jesus. And so we need the Spirit of Jesus in us.